This episode is brought to you in part by Alora Farinway's debut single, Riding a Tiger, available wherever you get your music. Alora Farinway is a young Canadian singer-songwriter who creates dreamy folk pop with the hope of transporting her listeners to another world. As someone who struggles with depersonalization and derealization disorders, conditions where you feel outside of yourself, you don't feel real, where the world around you isn't real and you're floating through life, her felt experience carries over into her music. Her lyrics and soundscapes imitate a dream and invite the listener into a world of color, glowing crystals, and often friendly animals. You can check out Riding a Tiger by Alora Farinway, available on every major music platform, and follow her on Instagram at Alora Farinway for a splash of color in your feed. Visit alorafarinway.com for links to everything, or hit the link in the description of this episode to find out more. This episode of the Upper Discussion Podcast is brought to you in part by Whiskey Lane. Launched in Kelowna, BC, and now expanding to Montreal, Whiskey Lane is on a mission to share their obsession with quality food and drinks with growing audiences by keeping the best local flavors on their minds and on their tongues. No matter what your business needs to grow, Whiskey Lane knows how to make it happen. Whiskey Lane, bringing long lines to the producers of specialty food and drinks. Go to whiskeylane.ca to find out more. And that's Whiskey the Canadian way, without an E. Hi, I'm Tom Zalatni, and you're listening to episode 313 of Up for Discussion, a show about great food and the people who love to make and eat it. Every week, we tackle a different ingredient, dish, or style of cuisine, sharing our favorite recipes and learning from our wonderful guests. Today, we're talking all about finding yourself in food. Before we dig in, I'd like to take a minute to acknowledge that the studio where I'm recording is situated within the traditional and unsurrendered territories of the Ganyangahaga First Nations. As settlers, I think it's important to remember that the lands you occupy are not our own, and to engage in conversations that challenge the colonial mindset. I want to encourage you to take some time today and every day to reflect on your relationship with the land you live on and with the indigenous communities thereof. Food can be a ridiculously powerful tool for connecting to parts of ourselves that feel lost or distant, and for going on geographical journeys that are maybe outside of our budget otherwise. Whether we're living vicariously through guys like Phil Rosenthal and Anthony Bourdain's travel series, cracking open the old family recipe books to cook something just like Granny made, or even popping into the food court at the mall, food can transport us to places far away. But even more than just taking us on journeys, food can also help us go deeper inside of ourselves by connecting us with our roots and reminding us of where we come from. My guest today, Kendallyn Aldridge, was born in Nanning, China, and adopted by her mom in Texas as a newborn. You're going to hear her tell her story today of growing up feeling disconnected from Chinese food culture, and how she used recipes and cooking techniques as an adult to help reconnect with that part of herself. We get into the ways that food holds memory, the beauty of sharing a meal, and the power of a good recipe. But before we get into it, I want to tell you about an Indiegogo campaign we're running right now for the Upford Network. At the time of this episode's release, we've already raised more than half of our main funding goal, but we've got a long way to go and a lot of really exciting stretch goals lined up as well. So if you've got even a dollar you're able to contribute, please do. 
The campaign's funding is going toward essential equipment upgrades and replacements for our main studio and NDG, and because I felt weird only raising money for the network, there are secondary goals built into each stretch goal as well that include things like purchasing transcription services to make the shows on our network more accessible to the deaf and hard of hearing, donating our used equipment to local schools and youth centers, and kicking back a percentage of the money raised to local food banks and shelters. The computer that I record and edit all of my own podcasts on is currently on its last legs and could die any day now, so that's our main fundraising goal is to replace that with something new that will last a lot longer. But once we get that taken care of, our stretch goals include things like upgrading the microphones and headphones in our main studio and donating the old equipment to schools and youth centers, and getting invested in some kind of Twitch streaming setup so that we can expand our horizons a little bit into that platform as well. So if all of that sounds exciting to you, please consider donating. You can hit the Indiegogo link in the description of this episode and toss us a couple of bucks. There's some really amazing perks available, including guest appearances, Zoom cooking classes, and even reduced rate advertising packages. You can get one ad for $10, five ads for $40, or 10 ads for $75, and usually I would charge $25 an episode, so you're getting a really, really reduced rate on that, and uh, yeah, it's kind of neat. Okay, that's enough for me. Hit the Indiegogo link if that's interesting to you. If you don't have any money, you can also just share it. Also super helpful. Feel free to hit me up if you want a script of what you can say when you share it. I know sometimes people don't know what to type. I'm happy to type it for you. Okay, that's enough for me. Let's get to my conversation with Kendallin Aldridge. My guest on today's episode of Up for Discussion is Kendallin Aldridge. Kendallin is one of my co-hosts slash co-players, I guess, over on Natural Toonie, Northern Treasures, Sapphire Springs Task Force, where she plays Cassephony Isperdon, a uh, nature cleric tiefling who uh, is a teenager and is going through all kinds of moody teenage development things that are super fun to play around with. Uh, Kendallin is uh, one of the most exciting D&D players that I've gotten to work with in a very, very long time. Uh, and one of the things that makes her so exciting is that she uh, has a massive collection of dice uh, which you can find by checking out her instagram at the growing dice horde um and of course i'd be remiss if i didn't mention given that this is a food podcast her food instagram at the one countertop kendall and thank you so much for joining me you're welcome thank you for having me <laughs> it's, it, you know like we talked about you say like how do i introduce you and i was thinking wouldn't it be easier now now that i'm a co-host but no it doesn't get any easier <laughs> does it i just like <laughs> For me, it's it's just like no matter how many things I know that a person is doing, like no matter how much I'm doing with the person, I'm like, I don't know, maybe they're going to have like six, seven other things that they want to plug, like, uh, which of course, you know, if there are six or seven other things to plug, we have time at the end of the show for as many plugs as you right, could possibly right, want. Right. Um, but of course, let's, uh, let's dive into today's show. So obviously, I said off the top of the show that the theme of today's episode is finding your self in food, right? Finding a connection to the culture that you belong to, finding a connection to your roots, finding a side of yourself, really, and a side of who you are as a person through the food that you make and eat. Um, and Kendallin, this is a topic that is near and dear to your heart. Uh, yes. And actually, like, you are one of my patrons here on the show, and you requested an episode about this. And uh, I was like, well, come on the episode because you have a good story yeah <laughs> so um before we get too much into it though uh i do always give my guests a chance to kind of contextualize themselves at the top of the show and of course that's kind of the whole of this episode topic uh but i figure i will start by asking you to kind of talk a little bit about like where you grew up how you grew up what kind of stuff you ate growing up and how that's kind of changed or you know shifted as you've gotten older and become you know an adult whatever that means yeah no um so for the listeners who don't know me, or it's been a while since you've heard me outside of the D&D podcast because I was a 
I was a patron like you guys for like well, like four years. Um, I am adopted from Nanning, China. I was adopted when I was eight months old into a Caucasian family, um, and I grew up in Texas, which surprises some people because I don't have the Texan accent and I don't <laughs> talk slow. Um, but so I grew up. Well, for, I guess for the first eight months of my life, I grew up eating more of the traditional Chinese stuff. I don't remember any of it, except uh, apparently my mom in the hotel room tried to slice up bananas and give it to me, and I just wouldn't eat them. So they ended up – I don't think they went back to my village, but they went somewhere similar, and someone saw me, and they well, she started to get a banana, and my mom was like, okay, yeah, right, good luck with that. And they just held it out in front of me. They peeled it, held it in front of me, and I just went <laughs> – so apparently my foster parents didn't cut bananas. <laughs> and and um but when I, in Texas I grew up eating very much like the typical cuz Texas is a weird culture to begin with, right? Um so I grew up eating the American stuff like you know little Debbie, Chef Boyardee, ra- like Moroccan ramen. Uh, I also grew up eating like beef brisket, so beef barbecue versus and my mom, oh yeah, my mom also grew up in Mississippi. So that's a different Southern culture. So I actually also, and my grandmother lives in Tennessee or lived. So I grew up eating different kinds of barbecue, like like beef and pork, uh, cabbage. Uh, we only had Chinese food like twice a year on my birthday and Chinese New Year, and my gotcha day, so three times a year. So yeah, I, I have a very interesting relationship with like the culture of food and what's been presented to me. And over the past couple of years even with the pandemic, like, I've watched more cultural cooking shows. Um, if you haven't seen Somebody Feed Phil, Feed Phil, you that you have to. Like, it's so good. And um, if you can get a ha- your hands on the Harry Biker Asian Adventure, it's also a really good one. And it's kind of learned – I like fish. I've always loved fish. My mom says, like, when she got my sister and I, it was an interesting look at nature versus nurture. My sister and I always – gravitated toward rice and noodles right sure <clears throat> more than we did like what because texas dishes aren't grain based <laughs> they're protein based and as i grew older i started liking more veggies and fish and that's not a staple in texas it actually costs a lot to have seafood here if you're buying from a normal western westernized um shop like kroger or black eyed peas or you know what i mean right that's cheaper if you go to an Asian market. And over time, I just started gearing more towards that kind of diet and to the point where my mom just refused to buy groceries for me. <laughs> That's in a nutshell, like where food is history-wise without going into like what we're about to go into. Sure. Cool. Yeah. That's interesting. Thank you so much for sharing. Yeah. I find it funny, the idea that like your mom was like, oh man, I guess, I guess this kid doesn't eat bananas and it turned out to just be a preparation <laughs> issue. Because that like... <laughs> The the idea that that instinct of like this isn't exactly how I'm used to eating it, so I will not eat it, develops that young is so wild to me because I know it, I know it well. You know, I have yeah. I have two kids and and one of them is two, so I'm very familiar with picky eaters. But I uh, I wouldn't have thought that you know sliced banana versus whole banana would make such a big difference so early on. That's so funny. Yeah, I I, mean, I was you got remember I wasn't that old either. I was eight months old right. when my mom so that means that like six months or if not earlier my foster parents were shoving bananas into me sure yeah i remember eight months eight months was uh around the time that um 
I first started feeling like Toby was like expressing opinions of any kind. It yeah. was uh it was when I first would start taking him to barbecue places because uh, it was uh He's a November baby, so it was like late May, early June, mm-hmm. maybe when he was eight months old. And uh, he was, I distinctly remember the point where he started asking for things off my plate and like being, you know, discriminating between one thing and another a little bit more than, than before that. Yeah. Now he's, uh, now he wants to eat everything, but he wants to eat it a very specific way. And if we get it wrong the first time, he yells about it and cries for 20 oh, minutes. Oh, no. Two. <laughs> I used to babysit a kid who did that in his twos and threes. It's the and best. I basically, and this is off topic, but my favorite thing ever was like getting pizza and then, you know, was it pizza? I think it was pizza and you had like the, no, it was a hamburger. It was a mm. hamburger because you, like, he wanted it to cut, in, you wanted, he wanted you to cut it in half. Sure. But the problem is when you cut a hamburger in half, it falls apart. Right. Oh, he got so mad. <laughs> oh, he got so, and I had to tell him this point blank, like, look. Every time I cut him a burger, I was like, look, if I cut this burger, it's going to fall apart. You're not going to get mad at me for that. He's like, ah, nope. You know, full where what's going to happen. <laughs> I feel that. Toby Toby's at a stage right now where uh, he wants something and he says, you know, give me a banana, or, you know, more banana. And we start handing him a banana and he, you know, has to try and peel it himself. And uh, he can't do it. But you're not allowed to offer to help. He has to ask for help. And if you're oh. like, if you're like, I've noticed you've been, you know, struggling to open that banana for about 20 minutes. Do you want me to help you with it? He's like, er, no, my do it. Um, okay. Or, you know, burst into tears because you're, you know, suggesting that Just he can't do something. don't do what the guy did on Twitter with the girl and his daughter and the can. Oh, of yeah. Fuck that guy. Bean dad. Uh, bean yes, dad can bean go to hell. Dad. So anyway. Yeah, back to positive food culture. Woo. Positive food relationships. Yeah. And you know what? Let's let's do it. Let's talk positive food relationships. So one of the things that I, I like to try to get into on this show as much as possible is the food that we love and why we love it, right? What brings us to a place where we look at a specific dish or an ingredient and we feel like a warmth toward it and we're like, oh, that is a thing that okay. I like really love and really get excited about. And uh, I think that that ties in really nicely with today's theme of finding a part of yourself in food. Um, so I'd love to know, like, you and I have talked about this, you know, I think at length <laughs> in, like, yeah. you know, in our messages with each other. But can you, like, talk a little bit about sort of finding? So I keep saying finding yourself. I think, you know, let's talk a little bit about, like, finding your Asian heritage in food. Yeah, yeah. Because, <laughs> you know, because you <laughs> right. don't have that with the family that you grew up with. Well, so I, that's kind of like yeah. a twofold question because what's interesting enough is I actually did have that for the first 10, 11 years of my life. Like okay. my, uh, my mom was very much like I grew up with adoption books in the house, specifically mm. Chinese adoption. I grew up with Chinese myth books and anything that was Chinese, like Big Bird Goes to China. There's a China episode of Touched by an Angel where they went to China. Like, and I went to a Chinese school for like four or five years on Sundays cool. to learn the language. Uh, so the first 10 years of my life was filled with like learning about my culture. It's just as my sister and I grew older and I think I just got, I'd like to think it one, my mom didn't think to ask herself, Oh, is this something that they want to keep? She didn't think to ask us and we didn't think to tell her Sure. because the whole thing about fish being expensive. Well, guess what? You can go to like an Asian market and get like two salmon steaks for like $14 together right. versus like you try to do that Walmart, Target, whatever, and it costs you almost $30. Right. So it's 
that it's, it's that kind of cultural thing where she, as we got older, I I always remained interested in my Chinese heritage, but my sister didn't. Sure. So that was kind of a weird dysfunction because in trying with with things like some of the feel like what's really cool about the um, Asian hair Chinese specific I might use Asian kind of as a blanket statement here uh, I want to say like that's not the most politically correct thing to do I will try to separate things but separate the cultures by where they come from later on but just as the listeners know I do understand it saying just Asian is not a, the most politically correct statement Sure. Um, I think well, I think for what it's worth, like I think that as as the Asian person on the call, like <laughs> I think that you have free reign to talk about uh, your experience I, in whatever terms you want to talk about your experience. I know, but also, I don't like that because I wasn't raised in an Asian household, right? Sure. Because and we talked about this. Like one, of the worst thing someone ever told me. One of the first, one of the worst things ever someone ever called me was not a real Asian because I was raised by white people. Right. So I, I don't think that's a good excuse. It's kind of like what we talked about in Ugly Delicious. Like they spend almost the whole show glorifying other cultures, but saying they can be racist toward other Asians because David Chang is Korean. Mm-hmm. And it's like, why is that okay? Right. It's not okay. No. Unless you have consent with the other person you're with. Like, you know what I mean? Yeah, and, for sure. It, and I think that's kind of like where this interest in the food culture came from is like, well, what is it about this culture that's different from what I know? Because I typically cook more... Chinese and Korean recipes Mm -hmm. than I do Japanese and Vietnamese. I like Japanese food. I like Vietnamese food. But the preparation, it's mildly different and less labor-intensive depending on what you do. But one of the things that I've really taken from Chinese and Vietnamese culture is most Asian recipes. It's like washing your protein, like rinsing your protein and drying it after you take it out of the package. Mm. Which is not something you hear a lot in the Western stuff, but almost every recipe I've seen, it's like, all right, you take your chicken out, rinse it, dry it off. (laughs) Which makes sense because it's been in a plastic package for who knows how long. Right. You don't, and then also, if you eat, if you know, like salt, acid, fat, heat, like it talks about, like you know, if the if your protein is dry or wet, it can affect your cooking process. Right. This all, and it also like the Chinese, Vietnamese, Japanese culture. Initially, the home cooking aspect is for family it's you make a lot to share and like that helps with food prep (laughs) yeah i love that i i think one of the one of the most exciting things about food for me is that like element of sharing and i uh i love any opportunity that a like food culture gives to make a lot of Mm -hmm. something and share it with a lot of people i think that's uh that's beautiful and also like the cooking techniques like I've made things, and my boyfriend Matt will have look will look at it as like, wow, that doesn't look very greasy, as it would be like in a. Not that American or Westernized food is a bad thing, right? Sure. But it modern in modern terms, we definitely overuse a lot of things. Sure. We overindulge in like things like salt and butter and all the typical American stereotypes. Whereas like in cooking, some of the Chinese stuff I've done, whether it's steaming or braising, it's like to me somehow it makes sense. Sure. I don't know how to, like, it's not something like, oh, yeah, something clicks. It's like, oh, yeah, no, I this gets it. I get this. And it's like, oh, yeah, that smells the way it's supposed to smell. <laughs> <laughs> That's interesting. I like yeah. that. Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, uh, I, I'll always say, like, you know, there's no such thing as bad food, right? Like, food isn't good for you or bad for you based on, like, what it is. It's it's good for you or bad for you based on, you know, 
how well it's prepared, you know? Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, the only food that's truly bad food is food that has gone bad. Um, right, right. But, like, definitely, like, yeah, there there is, you know, for every person, you know, some people are going to love the smell of, like, you know, grease frying, and other people are not going to love that smell. Um, <laughs> I'm, I'm someone who loves it. But I, uh, I definitely feel you on, like when I want to feel like I'm eating something a little bit lighter or like a little bit less, uh, yeah, I think lighter is the right word. Cause I think yeah. a lot of like greasier foods can feel really heavy. And sometimes I really want that and you're know, not going to lie, but you know, when I want to eat something a little bit lighter, I do kind of lean a little bit more Asian in general. Well, even then it's like, you know, like Chinese and Korean foods, like they do shallow and deep fry and, yeah. and, and recipes from the Philippines. I've, I've actually cooked, some of the some of the things I've cooked recently were Philippine recipes. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just a matter of how you do it. Like for example, I did like twice fried pork, which is a specifically Sichuan Chinese recipe, mm-hmm. um, because like everything else, it's delineated by the region. Right. And you you fry it twice to get rid of the excess oil. You also do that with Korean fried chicken. You mm-hmm. fry it twice. Um, you also also with the Sichuan fried pork, you use things like potato starch versus flour because it gives it a crunchy exterior without it like you know dredging it and being so heavy against the, the protein right i also done things where i've experimented with mixing western and eastern cooking where um i've done a chicken fried pork chop where i will let the pork velvet which means let it marinate in things like egg whites and stuff to like help break down the assist the acidity acidity helps break down the protein itself right and um and to make the pork less heavy, even though it's been fried. Interesting. Yeah. Of the of the new cooking techniques that you've learned since you started getting into this side of cooking a little bit more, what was the most kind of like eye-opening for you? Oh, gosh. Or, so, or maybe not even eye-opening, so but just sort of like, was there one that like surprised you and you were like, oh, crap, I never would have thought of this. Steaming. Yeah? Steaming. Like using bamboo steamers. Like, oh my gosh. Like, um, I've made... I've made buns. I've made, yeah, I've made buns and I've made um, other steamed foods. And it's actually something that's not that hard. It's fairly easy to do. And like the tech, you would think like, oh, you're putting a steamer on, in water. You would think like, oh, this is going to be mushy, right? Mm. But it's not. <laughs> right. it, ha- it does have a firm texture of some kind. And it honestly, like, and I love use, I love to use the site Walks of Life because it, touches a lot on the traditional Chinese um, recipes and tells you why. Uh, it's one of the few res- few sites where it's worth reading the blurb at the beginning. <laughs> right. um, but what I also like in their site is they're trying to preserve the culture of the, the bamboo steaming and dim sum because there are recipes that have fallen out of popularity and just aren't being made anymore in mm. modern restaurants and the recipes are almost lost. Wow. And it's fun to do that. It's just there's, I didn't realize there was so much you could do with steaming, and whether you use bamboo or metal steamers, uh, that that family particularly, like they swear by it. They like they all they almost always use the steamers more than microwaves now. Cool. Is what I read. Yeah, so, I mean, yeah. it makes sense to me that like steaming is something that never really occurred to me growing up. Like I know my mom would use, you know, would like put a colander on top of right, some boiling right. water to like steam some broccoli or whatever. Uh, and that was always fine. But the idea of steaming as like a main method of cooking, like uh, as a thing to cook your entree with, 
never would have occurred to me until like, yeah, you know, at some point, probably in college, I started going to a dumpling place downtown a lot. uh, And they like, you know, would bring you the dumplings on the steam basket, which I always, I think there's something so nice about a cooking dish that becomes a serving dish. You know what I mean? Yeah. (laughs) Like it, it feels like it almost feels like you got to be there a little bit. Yeah, and like, and what's really neat because like you bring that up because you grew up in Vancouver. Yeah, well, which so has I, a I lived... very big Chinese um, Chinese population. Yeah, I always feel I'm always torn because I feel like I grew up in Vancouver, but also we moved here when I was six, and then I just spent a lot oh, of okay. summers. I spent a lot of summers in Vancouver as a kid. Okay. So like, I always feel like when I say that I grew up in Vancouver, I always feel like I have to like, you know clarify yeah because otherwise I feel like I'm not a real Vancouverite you know like people (laughs) are gonna be like if you you were there until you were there for five years and have some recollection of memories and were there like every other summer I think that gives you honorary Vancouverite rights yeah exactly it's like I'm definitely a Montrealer (laughs) but like I lived in Vancouver as a kid um but what, what I was saying is like What's really interesting about the steamers, you got to remember, like, a good portion of China is rural. And I think we forget that because Hong Kong and Beijing get more, most of the popularity. And then you have, like, Nanning, which is my, my village, which isn't even, all, like, on the globe or the map. You see Nanjing more than you do Nanning right. when you look at it. Yeah, to but, the point yeah. where when you first told me about it, I thought you had just made a typo. No! <laughs> no, it's, it's Nanning. But what you got to remember is, like, in these rural countries, like, electricity is sparse. It's very much, like... It's scary. Like it's you know like we have a literal third world country alongside like the big billion billionaire tech world that we know of, right? Sure, yeah. So a lot of people in those rural areas wouldn't have access to like microwaves or stoves. Like steaming would be the easiest way to like make a dish. At right. The time. Yeah. Well, that makes sense, especially like just thinking about it from a like uh, even from like a clean water perspective, like you if you need to clean the water before you can use it for cooking like you do have to boil it first right and like obviously you're not going to want to you know use the you're not going to want to steam while you're cleaning the water by boiling it but like (laughs) (laughs) the kind of nice thing is like as soon as you're done boiling it to clean it you can then you know clean it and then start boiling it again to get the steam going and it starts boiling that much faster so it kind of it creates kind of a um what's the word I'm looking for? Like, I almost want to say like an assembly line process with like, you know, boil, boil again, steam. Yeah. I think also what opened my eyes is like the, how Chinese and Japanese do protein, Mm -hmm. specifically red meat, because they don't have a lot of cows in in Japan. Sure. So they have to slice their meat very thin. Oh, interesting. I wouldn't have even thought about that. I think that's in the meat episode, the steak episode in Ugly Delicious. Okay, yeah. Uh, Like, that's the only reason why, like, and, like, Wagyu beef is, like, on top of, like, they just treat their Wagyu cows very well. Mm -hmm. Um, But, yeah, it's one of the reasons why, like, when you go to an Asian, like, uh, for lack of better words, traditional Asian, not one that's, like, P.F. Chang's or, Sure, yeah. But, like, a lot of times, like, the dishes are chicken, right? And mm-hmm. if you do have beef, like, it's shreds. It's not, like, a huge stack of, like, what we get in America. Right, yeah. You get the sort of stir-fried strips instead of, like, a steak. Yes, exactly. Yeah. Yeah, that's interesting. I I wouldn't have thought about, like, um, the amount of it that's present being the issue as much as just the sort of economic disparity, right? Where, like, you know, like you said, the when we talk about china like we 
you know, it's it's easy to picture, you know, big city, right? Because right, right. there Log. is one, right? <laughs> yeah, exactly. But like, you're right that like the reality is, you know, very big country, <laughs> lots of not big city as part of that. And like, that means that, you know, while it's true that there are, you know, food cultures that are, you know, a little bit more rooted in that kind of financially stable sector there's also food cultures that are rooted in like peasant towns and like yeah and you know maybe this isn't necessarily profound because i think that's true worldwide right like there are always you know small town meals in addition to big city meals but i think uh yeah it's interesting to think about that in terms of like okay so like what is the sort of overall culture of the food that you're eating well it's a lot of you know it's a lot of rice and noodles because those can be made in large quantities for cheaper and they're very filling and delicious. And then it's, you know, really good understanding of the like spices and herbs around you mm-hmm. to make the things that are easy to make super flavorful. And then like, you know, a small amount of the protein because it's, you know, you can do that without breaking the bank and it yeah. like adds a little accent to it. Right. I think that makes a lot of sense. I was going to say a really good YouTube channel that really promotes this what you're talking about is Liziki which is L I Z I Q I okay and she is a, a chinese woman who lives with her grandmother in very rural china and she has videos talking about like she just ended the series so it's like the life of taro the life of purple rice and she you watch her literally grow these herbs grow these stuff forage what she needs to and like she she goes through the process of like what each of these are used for and how they're used, whether it's like, oh, we're going to pickle this for like six months ago, for six months later, or whatever. Um, but it's exactly what you're talking about, like how being in a village so far away from the city with a different economic status, like making do with what you have. Yeah. Oh, that's very cool. I'm, I'm looking at the, uh, I'm looking at her channel now and like, it's gonna, so peaceful. I'm going to bookmark yeah. this because yeah, it seems, it seems really neat. It's like a little slice of life, you know, not to use the word life over and over again, but it's like yeah. a little slice of life documentary almost. Oh, that's very it cool. It is. It, and it's so cool. Like the roses, the life of roses is one of my favorites because it's a flower. <laughs> right. But she, she like makes chicken with it. Makes chicken? No, mixed. She makes a chicken dish with it. Oh, there we go. So I, I don't know why my, my tired brain assumed you meant like a mock chicken <laughs> made out no, of no, no, roses. No, 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 and I was no, like, no. what? No, 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 no. no. Yeah, no, of course. Of course, that's not what you meant. (laughs) Duh. (laughs) This week's episode of Up for Discussion is brought to you in part by 6-7 Radius. 6-7 Radius is a consulting firm that helps companies grow by building one-of-a-kind marketing strategies and sales techniques. With over a decade of experience in the B2C and B2B world, the company is now bringing you a -a one-of-a-kind sales course. The Sales Law of Averages will teach you step-by-step all the soft and hard negotiation skills you need to master your sales game with over five hours of training material, over 40 videos, and real-life examples from different sales industries. Pre-order your course today for only $117. Turn your leads into sales and create a 100% referral conversion rate. Pre-order your course today and master your sales strategy for less than $10 a month. Are you intrigued? Great! Go hit the affiliate link in the description of this episode and pre-order your course today. It's only $117, which is a massive markdown from the usual price, and ends up being less than $10 a month to totally master your sales strategy. It's worth it. Check it out. 6-7 Radius. Okay, if you're enjoying the show so far, make sure to hit subscribe on whatever platform you're listening on so that you never miss a new episode. While you're at it, consider leaving a rating or review on Apple Podcasts or sharing this episode with a friend. 
For every new rating and review I get during the month of March, I'm going to be donating $2 to the Depot NDG, which is my local community food bank. They do a lot of really great work in the neighborhood, and they can make every dollar into $3 worth of food for a family in need. So for every rating and review, you're functionally donating $6 worth of food to somebody who needs it. And uh, $6 is like two bags of rice. So if you think about that, that's like multiple meals if the meal is mostly rice. So I don't know why I chose that as my example. Rice is something you can eat a lot of, I guess. Anyway, leave a rating and review if you feel like it. It will make a big difference. I also want to let you know that you still have time to vote to help choose the 16 competitors for our Munch Madness bracket. By hitting the survey link below, you can nominate up to five of your favorite foods for consideration. Every nomination counts as one vote, and you can nominate the same food multiple times if you want to. I'm going to be announcing the 16 competitors next week. So you don't have a ton of time left, but you do still have a little bit of time. The survey will still be up for a few more hours at the time of this episode's release. So act fast and make sure that your voice is heard. We're going to be announcing the full list of competitors on next week's show. Um, If you haven't already, make sure to go listen to the bonus episode that Matt Cole and I released this past weekend where we break down our plans for Munch Madness and for our bonus Guy Fieri Tournament of Champions watch along series. It's going to be a lot of fun. (laughs) It's going to be a really awesome spring, frankly, and I'm really glad that you're here for it. The last thing I want to tell you about here in the mid-roll is that, of course, if you don't already, you should go listen to Natural Toonie. Natural Toonie is the Dungeons & Dragons podcast that we have here on the Upford Network. Uh, I play a character in one of the campaigns, and I DM the other one, and the campaign that I DM, the Natural Toonie Northern Treasure Sapphire Springs Task Force campaign, is the one that Kendallin plays on. So if you want to hear more of me and Kendallin, except in a completely, completely different context where we are doing silly D&D things, go check out Natural Toonie. It is a lot of fun. All right, let's get back to my conversation with Kendallin Aldridge. So yeah, so let's let's get back to you specifically, I guess. Because um, yeah. I'm curious, because I know that you have told me that like... You know, you you have spent a lot of time looking at cookbooks the past little while and kind of, you know, finding the recipes that are exciting you to try and trying them out and kind of feeling, you know, you, you were telling me you sort of feel like this is helping you kind of connect with that side of yourself a little bit more. Tell me about that, I guess, is really what my question is. Yeah, yeah, no, it's a very, like, it's a weird, it's a weird twofold question. I was like, I talk about this a lot because, like, we just watched The Winx Club and I hate it. I okay. Hate. That's a different. That's a different show, but like. Sure. Yeah. Um, but like, there's something now. Okay, I want to say this because I don't want to invalidate someone else's feelings about or experiences with adoption because it's everyone's everyone's experience is so different. But Hollywood likes to really pull on the whole. Oh, I'm adopted, therefore I have no idea who I am. Trope. Right. And that's never been my experience. I've known since as far as back as I can remember, my mom has always been very open and honest, like, oh, you were adopted. Sure. <laughs> and so it's not so much like, it's kind of odd, like, it's not like, oh, I found myself, right? Right. But it's it's a culture that was cut off for me for a while, either either because we lost interest or financially, my or culturally, like, okay, so my mom didn't know how to deal with it, right? Because right. My mom, traditional Chinese dishes are very different from what we get here right. in the U.S. and Canada. Like, if you actually watch Ugly Delicious, but I hate this episode, the fried rice episode, like, it's t- different worlds. Like, it's not even, like, basically any culture, Mexican, Italian, 
Chinese, Indian, any culture that came to the U.S. or the Western region had to completely change their food to make it more palatable to white people. Sure, yeah. To make money, and they're st- unfortunately still do. Yeah. Well, yeah, that's and- it. Like, I, I think, like, you know, uh, being adopted or not, I think, like, you know, if you grow up somewhere where the food of, uh, massive air quotes here, the food of your ancestors yeah. is not, like, the main food culture of the place, it can be really easy to feel disconnected from that. Oh, yeah, like, because my, my mom didn't like Chinese food at all, even before going to China. Right. So we only were able to get Chinese food on the holidays that were important to me. Mm-hmm. And just, like, I remember, like, when I, I think I may have told you this, like, when I first started shopping at the Asian markets more regularly, like, mm-hmm. to put in, in perspective, I can get a lot of veggies, two or three proteins, some snacks, and some various drinks right. for about 50 or $60, and that lasts me for a week. Amazing. Whereas if I go to Kroger and I do the same thing, that runs me also 100 Right. So just, I, I just like, I was like, I get, it's like, cool, I'm going to just continue getting Asian stuff and like learn how to cook based on what I was getting. Mm-hmm. And it's just like, I was really frustrated and angry for a few weeks. Because, like, if my mom had known or tried, then this wouldn't have been a problem. Right. Like, like we would have had access to this. Like, um, we would have – and because I think of, like, you know, when I was told I wasn't a real Asian, like, I didn't grow up with anyone in my community who had a Chinese heritage to teach me about it. I had to learn from it through secondhand videos or, like, a third party. Right. And not even, like, oh, this is what the true culture is. And the foods really help bridge that gap to, like, kind of like, okay, nature-wise, I lean towards more Asian and Mediterranean foods anyway versus the – I mean, I still like brisket, right? I still like Tex-Mex food. But, like, it's – growing older, like, I – it's just not satisfying after a while because it's very heavy. It's very greasy. So being able able to see, like, oh, this is what my body naturally craves because Mm – possibly because like that's where my lineage is not so much like my mom raised me wrong or anything it's just but it's also really interesting to figure that out like i'll try new drinks like teas or new snacks or whatever i'm like oh this tastes right interesting (laughs) yeah Yeah, i mean you know like there is there is something to be said for that right like i think um i know that you know in a kind of slightly different direction what you're you know what your mother eats and drinks and whatnot while pregnant with you can like affect your allergies, right? Mm-hmm. Like it can, it can change what things you are allergic to if depending. Right. And so like, I wouldn't be surprised if there is like on some level, the things that get eaten while you're gestating or whatever, maybe end up being things that like hit some kind of note for you in life, no matter yeah. how you're raised, no matter where you are. Right. Like, there, there probably is some truth to the idea that, like, taste is genetic on some level. Yeah, yeah. Well, there was a point where, like, so it's not a big Southern thing, but some Southern cultures put butter and sugar on rice. And I know my mom did it for a little while, and I, my sister and I stood, took each other away, away from my mom. It's like, why does she do that? That's not how you eat rice. And we're, like, five and ten. Huh. Butter and sugar on rice. It's you know, not I, awful. I don't just, hate it. Yeah. No, 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 it's not awful. But like, I just remember at, at such a young age, my sister and I both were like looking at each other, like, "Why does she do that?" <laughs> <laughs> and we, but we weren't told that we weren't never told that it was anything different. Sure. Just yeah. Like, even at a young age, like that's not kosher. With our it, it just kind of resonates as a little bit weird. 
<laughs> yeah. No, but you know what? I think that there is like I I think that there's a beauty to looking at the foods that like go back in your family for generations mm-hmm. and trying them out and seeing what sticks with you. Like as a way to sort of connect to that, right? Like no matter yeah. no matter how connected you feel to it based on your like geography or your, you know, family relationships. Like for me, I didn't grow up, you know, I don't speak Hungarian. I went to Hungary once as a baby and once in my teens. And like, you know, we ate a lot of like a wide variety of foods from all over because my mom was a really good cook and like, you know, would make all kinds of things. Um, But I realized that the only thing that makes me feel connected to my Hungarian heritage is food. Like I, (laughs) I feel like when I when I'm feeling like I want to feel a little bit connected to my family who are, you know, all over the place and spread out and like the only the only person who is blood to me who I like live close by is Toby, right? <laughs> like if I want to feel a like deeper connection to my family, I'll like make, you know, schnitzel or chicken paprikash. Mm-hmm. And like, you know, <laughs> it's a conversation for another day that my family is, you know, a lot more German and Austrian than we are Hungarian. Um, rest in peace, Christopher Plummer. But like, oh, it's, you know, when, when I want to feel that like deeper connection, I do go back to those recipes that like mm-hmm. feel a little bit like they're tied to my family's soul. And, uh, and so I love that you have been able to, <laughs> from what it sounds like, from what was really just sort of a like let me see if I can you know find a better grocery budget yeah <laughs> I've been able to like find that connection a little bit more I think that's really beautiful yeah I, it's, it's really neat and then like um like my grandma's not getting any younger so for Christmas a good portion of my list was like I want family stories I want um my, my grandfather died like three or four years ago and so like I need the recipes he used to cook a lot when growing up, like I mm. want those. And then my birthday's coming up in a month. So I, my next list will be like, I want your spaghetti recipe. I want your fried chicken. Re- right. Cause like, it's so important to like, it, it, that's part of my culture too. Right. You know? And it's like, I, one of these days I might be able to mix the two together yeah. and make something really great. But like food and like your family history, no matter how strained or unknown, right. <laughs> it's, it's very important. Yeah. That's it. It it can be such a like beautiful way to tie us to people and places, whether or not they're people and places that we ever actually get to be near, like physically. Mm-hmm. Food is a food is a soul thing. It, it is. It truly really <laughs> is. And then just like like I'm going back to like oh what makes it warm? Like I just got a tr- a true. I have like two clay pots. I think one is not Eastern, because but that's fine because it's really hard to find earthen clay pots, right? Sure. Yeah. Uh, yeah, but anyway, but um, I got I found an earthen clay pot, and it's so fun to use, and it's you really you can make a lot of comfort foods with that. It's like oh, I get and I have like oh, I have this one pot I cook rice in that my that belongs to my family, and it was a soup pot. Like I just your utensils also plays a part in like the food you cook. Yeah, totally. Well, that's it. It's it's all the I I think about it. Food and music, I think, are very similar to yes. me in terms of like 
their ability to tell you a story through your senses, I guess. And like, it's absolutely true that like the pots and the pans and the utensils we use are kind of like our instruments in the kitchen, right? If you mm-hmm. have a guitar that you've been playing since high school, that's going to feel different in your hands and help you make a different kind of music than like maybe a way more expensive guitar that you pick up at the store right. and noodle around on. Just the same way that like, you know, you might buy a really fancy new pan. <laughs> maybe you but like. It's not the pan you use. Like, yeah, exactly. This is my last story, but like sure. we're currently in between places right now, so mm-hmm. almost all of my a good portion of my cooking stuff is packed. Right. And, the, and I made sure to have keep. I made sure to not pack the pot I cook rice in, <laughs> my wok, and like, and a couple of my knives. But like, I don't have my measuring spoons. Oh, I know. Well, I, my boyfriend's brother has measuring spoons, but they're not the same. Sure. Yeah. <laughs> No, I feel I moved out and I was like, hey, mom, can I take those measuring spoons? She's like, no, they're mine. I'm like, but, I, but, but how am I supposed to know when it, it's the correct measurement? <laughs> I feel that. I, uh, yeah, I had this one. Uh, the, people have maybe seen this in old YouTube videos of mine, but I'm not going to link to. You can find them if you want to. Uh, I had this big uh, casserole pan that I make lasagnas in. And um, <laughs> it's, uh, it's, I've had it forever. Like, I got it when I first moved out, and I've been using it for like almost 10 years now. And uh, I, broke, well, I broke it at one point. Um, oh, no. I didn't break it. Someone I lived with broke it uh, by mm. putting it on the stove while the burner was hot. Um, oh, no. And it just, like, can't handle that. And uh, it exploded. <laughs> and uh, I was really, really, like, bummed and devastated. Uh, and uh, thankfully, you know, my mom knew where to get the same one. And, you know, I was able to get a replacement that, like, you know, it's obviously not the same. But, like, I know it, you know? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> And like, yeah, I think that, you know, we have cast irons and we have a couple of the creuset pots and like knives and and cutlery and things that we've been using for years that like feel really right to me. And when I when I go to use something else, like it is a little bit weird. It's a weird adjustment. So I think there's there's something to that sort of history in objects for sure um we are wrapping we are we are running out of time so we do have to wrap up um first i just want to say thank you so much for calling in and for sharing your story and for all of your support of the show over the years (laughs) um for people who don't know kendalyn has been a patron since like very very early on (laughs) and uh, like i've been on i've been on the show i've watched i've been on the show since like the original hosts on here i've seen yeah there is a good point when i was still doing the um clip show shit right uh, yeah that's it it's we... like almost everything was like me naming the bear <laughs> that's it like you 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 have been such an integral part of the show for such a long time so thank you for that um, you're welcome before, before we uh before we wrap up i do want to give you one last chance uh you know any kind of final thoughts on on this topic or things that you want to plug if you guys are interested in like a part two like not just with me with like anybody on Mm. the subject let let tom know because that food it goes so much deeper than like just cooking it there's like the reasons behind it and like what effect it has on you and like tom does a great job at like talking about these topics and his show anyway (laughs) but like if you guys want any another episode dedicated just to that yeah share us share us your experiences (laughs) definitely yeah people know you got to know it it can be reiterated as much as possible i am always happy to revisit things multiple times so if this was interesting to you please let me know if you have a story that you want to share please let me know are you also adopted like how how was 
food culture for you? How, how did your parents handle that? Like that, that's something I don't think gets shared a whole lot because yeah. adoption is kind of weird. Like I've had so many people be like, where they were insanely upset with me because I didn't want to find my real parents. Hey. Like, I was born in Nanning, China in the nineties. I was found in a box near a river. This isn't possible. <laughs> <laughs> Fair enough. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, so before we wrap up, um, where can people find you if they want to find you? Anything you want uh, to The plug? Growing Dice Horde. You can see my 100 plus dice sets <laughs> and um, you can follow me at Kenny is here um, if you want more like modeling stuff. Well, you've heard this on other podcasts before, so I'm not going to worry about it. Um, at the one countertop at the point in my apartment, I only had one countertop that I prepped things on. Um, if you want to see low budget cooking and um, what I learned from those and the recipes I use because I don't make my own recipes um, and natural toonie <laughs> <laughs> so many places yay uh, find me somewhere and of course as always I will make sure that there are links to things in the description of this episode for ease of access and uh, yeah I would highly recommend uh, following Kendallin's food account uh, if you're interested in you know getting exposed to recipes that you might not have been exposed to otherwise y- you'll see stuff on there yeah. and uh Maybe you'll be inspired. Maybe you'll make it. My favorite one is my cat because it was natural ca- National Cat Day <laughs> <laughs> on my one countertop. He, I, I called him my sous chef. Amazing. <laughs> was he a good sous chef or did you fire no. him immediately after? Uh, the, the exact post says he's too much of a micromanager, in my opinion, and so messy. I have to clean every surface he's touched. <laughs> <laughs> the absolute worst. <laughs> All right. Well, Kendallin, thank you so much again. This was a lot of fun. Yeah. We'll talk to you soon. Yeah. Take care. Sunday, I think. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you so much for listening to Up for Discussion. Do you have a story about how food has helped you feel connected to your roots? Tell me all about it on Twitter and Instagram at DownWithTalking or at Tonsalatni. If you like this episode and want to help me make the show even better, you can head to patreon.com slash upfordiscussion to donate. For as little as a dollar a month, you'd be joining the ranks of fine folks like Patrick, Gabriel, Kendallin, Carlea, Thomas, George, Poppy, Killian, Sarah, Angelica, Anne, Andrew, Laura, Erica, Chantal, and David. Patrons get access to all kinds of fantastic perks, including the ability to request topics for episodes of the show. So if that is appealing to you, go to patreon.com slash up for discussion. If you are less interested in a monthly donation and more interested in a one-time thing, uh, I would again remind you that you can hit the Indiegogo link in the description of this episode and get some awesome perks there by helping with our network's fundraiser. We also have merch, and you can hit the merch link in the description of this episode to get all sorts of great stuff from our lovely friends over at TeePublic. And of course, you can support the show for free by leaving a rating or review on your podcatcher of choice and by sharing this episode with a friend. Our theme music is by Zach Ingalls, and our cover art is by David Flam. You can and should find links to support both of them in the description of this episode. Last but not least, this show is produced and edited by me, Tom Zalatni, as part of the Upford Network. You can find out about all the great shows on our network at upfordnetwork.com. See you next week. You understand. Just takes a little time, it takes a little time, it takes a little time with me. I hope you don't mind, we'll take it slow this time. Dungeons, Dragons, Canada, The Multiverse Theory, Corgis, Queer Representation, Reconciliation, Angels, Demons, Squirrels, Moose, Moose and Squirrels, Sorcerers, Dinosaurs, Forests, Giants, Rogues, Warlocks, Plains, Sewers, Lavender.
Natural Toonie, a Canadian Dungeons and Dragons podcast, right here on the Upford Network. <laughs> Hi, I'm Howard Mitnick, host of Gateway Music. Join me as I talk with people about the artists and albums that changed their lives, and about the artists and albums that changed mine. Available on the Upford Network and wherever you get your podcasts.